During World War II, some American soldiers who were starving and their bodies were emaciated in a German prisoner of war camp received a secret message that was that was snucked into them or sneaked into them. And anyway, the message was the Germans had surrendered to the Allies. But it was three days more before the Germans heard that news. So during those days, their grim circumstances were no longer or were no different than before, but their spirits were uplifted and they had joy because now they had hope. The news was certain, but it was not yet realized. And this is a parable of how we are to live the Christian life. The news is certain, but it's not yet fully realized. In spite of what we are going through, in spite of the grim realities of the days in which we live, our spirits are lifted and we have joy because we have hope. So look once again at the fourth verse of Romans chapter 15. And this fourth verse is one of my favorite Bible verses. It's in the top five, probably the top three. I consider this one of my life verses, along with 2 Corinthians 3.18 and Galatians 2.20, Romans 15.4. And the reason that it's one of my favorite verses is because of what it says. And that's what we're going to understand this morning. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And the question that this verse raises is, in these difficult times and circumstances in which we live, how can we have hope when the news that is certain, but it's not yet realized, what uplifts our spirits with joy? And that's what we're going to be asking this morning and answering. And I know lots of people are answering the kind of question, you know, how can we have hope in these times? Because I googled the words, hope for America, you know, to see how many direct hits I got on those three words. And I got 4,740,000 results in 0.46 seconds. So that's pretty good. The funny thing was that the hope for America, as I perused some of them, was one thing in 2016. It was a completely different thing in 2018. And there were very few results for Hope for America in 2020 other than results like, is there any hope for America? Is there hope for America? Is there, there is no hope for America, one of them says. And several of them said, America's last hope. And I, I didn't read what they were saying there. Uh, there was a post on Facebook this, this last week by one of the guys in our church, and some of you will know who he is. And it said, so in retrospect, in 2015, not a single person got the answer right to, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It summarizes how quickly things can change. How can we keep holding on and hoping when everything seems to be crashing in around us? And, and sometimes it's right on top of us. Just compare your circumstances, your lifestyle to what was just eight weeks ago. What were your hopes and dreams then compared to what they are now? And how much hope have you lost? What were you counting on then that you can't count on on now? It's important to understand that so far, the way I've talked about hope, except maybe in one instance, is I've pretty much used the word hope in a way that is totally foreign to the Bible. You see, biblical hope is not uncertain. 
Biblical hope is, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow so we can have the picnic or the barbecue, or I hope they find a vaccine for COVID-19 really soon, or I hope the schools can open up next month and they can open up safely, or even, I hope I don't get the virus, or I hope my family doesn't get the virus. We don't know whether any of these things are going to turn out okay or not. We're just expressing our wish. That's not biblical hope. According to what Paul wrote to Titus, and you don't need to turn to a passage here, but he said, biblical hope is certain because it's based on God's promises. And God cannot lie. And the God who cannot lie, Paul says to Titus, promised eternal life long ages ago. So we hope in eternal life, right? If we're believers in Jesus Christ, that's a certainty, right? Yeah, we call it perseverance of the saints. We call it not being able to lose your salvation. We know there's a certain sure and hope for the believer in Jesus Christ. And in fact, here in Romans 15, 4, the word hope in in the Greek has a little three-letter word in front of it, and it's the word the. If the Greek doesn't have an article, the or a or an, then it's called an indefinite article, and it just means it's talking about hope in general if it doesn't have the article. I have a hope. or But when you have the hope in the Greek, and that's what we have here, it's the hope. So we might have the hope. And what is the hope? The hope is something that is certain because it's based on God's promises, but it hasn't yet been fully realized. Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes from believing something good is going to happen. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from our faith. We believe what God has said, and we therefore have the confident assurance that it will happen. But it hasn't happened yet. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. So please turn over to the 8th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. In Romans chapter 8, Paul has been talking about how we eagerly await for the redemption of our earthly bodies. One day in heaven, we're going to get new glorified bodies. No more pain, no more sickness. And they're going to be glorified bodies that are perfectly suited for heaven's glories. One day, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, those of us in Christ will shed this earthly tent that we live in. This body. How many of you like to stay in a tent once in a while? How many of you like to live in a tent day after day after day and when it starts to leak and it starts to wear out and those kind of things? That's, that's what our human bodies are. But one day we'll be given a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, a redeemed body that is perfectly suited for all that God has for us in heaven. And that's our hope. Is that certain? Amen. Yes, it is. And so Paul is writing concerning the hope of the redemption of our bodies in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. And he talks about hope here. He says, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. So Hope must involve something that is still yet unseen. We, we can't see it yet. It's not realized yet. We don't hope for something we already have. I hope I had a good breakfast this morning. Or we have the breakfast in front of us. I hope, we might want to say, I hope this is a good breakfast. But it's not, I hope I have breakfast because you're having, having breakfast. 
but we hope for by faith, we know that we have, we will wait for it with perseverance. And we wait for it because we know that it's going to be realized. Another example is in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. You don't need to turn to this one, but uh, this is where the return of Jesus Christ, that glorious return that we sang about several times this morning already, that is called the blessed hope. Paul said, or to Timothy, he says, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the Lord, or the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can't see him yet. He's not here yet, only through his Holy Spirit, but he's not here yet. But we know he's coming and we persevere because that is our hope. He's going to come. And we anticipate that event with joy. Joy always accompanies biblical hope. We lose joy because we lose hope. And so in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul shows us that we can have this kind of hope through two ways. There's two means to getting it. There are two ways that are interconnected. You can have hope. You can't have hope with just one. You need both of these ways. It takes both. So first of all, he's going to show us that we have our hope through perseverance, through perseverance. And secondly, along with perseverance, we have hope through the encouragement of the scriptures. But before what we see what it means to have perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we need to look at the source. Where does perseverance and where does encouragement come from? And Paul's answer in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, is that they come from the scriptures. They come from God's word. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This verse contains a principle that has great significance for us as 21st century believers. Everything that was written in scripture in the days gone by thousands of years ago, was written for us today. Not only did God's word serve the needs of the people of its own day when those words were written to them, but it's still relevant, it's still essential in today's postmodern world. It is through the endurance taught in the scripture and modeled in the scripture as an example by Old Testament saints, faithful saints who have gone before us, and the encouragement it brings that we are enabled to live in hope. Now, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, only six of the other New Testament books had been written so far, and they were all written by Paul. Oh, no, one, the first one was by James. The book of James is probably the earliest one written, about 50 A.D., well, that's only 16, 17 years after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand. Then First and Second Thessalonians were written about 52, 53, Galatians in 55, First and Second Corinthians in 57, and then Paul wrote the book of Romans in 58 or 59 A.D. So only six books of what we call the New Testament. So basically, the only scripture that they had in Rome was the Old Testament. They may have had copies that had been floating around. You know, that's how we got the New Testament. The apostles wrote it, and it was inspired by God. It was God-breathed that became Holy Scripture, and then they disseminated copies around to the other churches. But it's, it's highly unlikely that the believers in Rome had any 
or very many of these copies yet, and they were lacking 20 books <laughs> that we have today. And I say that to say if we spend very little time in our study and reading of the Bible, and we spend very little time in the Old Testament, we're not reading the Bible of Jesus. We're not reading the Bible of Paul. We're not reading the Bible of the apostles. The Old Testament was the only Bible they knew. And the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, which is contained in the New Testament, is built on the Old Testament. And the apostles assumed that those that they taught were familiar with the stories and the teaching of the Old Testament. And it really is safe to say that if we don't have a basic grasp of the Old Testament, we cannot adequately understand the New Testament. In fact, we've already seen in our study of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul quoted the Old Testament over 80 times. Over 80 times. The book of Romans is basically an exposition in light of Christ of the Old Testament. And that's what all exposition should be. Several years ago on a Sunday morning, I announced that I was going to begin teaching a study in the Wednesday night Bible study on the book of Hebrews. And I said in the announcement that we'd also spend a lot of time in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. How many of you tried to do anything in Leviticus lately? I know it's, it's probably everybody's least favorite book in the Bible. All those laws and ordinances and what the, te- uh, yeah, you go through all that stuff, what the temple's supposed to look like and the penalties for, for disobedience. And I said in the announcement, announcing the Bible study, I said, you can't understand the book of Hebrews without an understanding of the book of Leviticus. And I went home after church thinking, I don't know, maybe I just discouraged too many people to do that. You know, you know how you have those second thoughts, but it's too late to, to take it back. But one of the men in the church who only came to church once in a while, and uh, he was living in Elko, and his family was still in Twin Falls, and he would come once in a while. He'd never been to a Bible study. He went home after church, and right after he had lunch, he read through the entire book of Leviticus. And before Wednesday night Bible study, he had read through the entire book of Leviticus once again. And he came to Wednesday night Bible study so excited about what he was going to learn in the book of Hebrews. And in a couple of years after he joined the church, he became our financial secretary of the church and just a a neat guy. You see, it was primarily to the Old Testament, including Leviticus, that Paul referred to when he wrote to Timothy. That from childhood you have known the sacred writings, Timothy, that would have been the Old Testament, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament teaches us. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. Without the Old Testament, we, we lack part of God's revelation and he gave that he gave for his teaching about himself, teaching about man, about sin, about salvation, and about faith. We lack what God gave a lot for the reproof for the correction of our sins. How many of us thought of ever using the Old Testament to reprove somebody? Well, that's, that, that's all they had for a while. Anyway, This is not to say that we should not major in the New Testament. We are New Covenant people. But we need to make the Old Testament part of our study. Our understanding of how the church is to live, how we are to function as one another in discipleship and fellowship, what the church is to be comes from the New Testament. 
There's all the one another passages in the New Testament. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another. There are 59 specific one another passages in the New Testament that show us how to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And of course, the Gospels are in the New Testament. And the Lord willing, we will begin a study in Luke's Gospel in October. <laughs> that, that is on my sermon plan when I finish Paul's letter to the Romans. Today is the 114th message in Paul's letter to the Romans. So please don't think that I'm going to spend 114 messages in Leviticus one day, okay? But there's one place that the Old Testament seems to excel over the New Testament. And this is why it's one of my favorite verses here. In how we are to live the Christian life with faith, with hope, and with perseverance. And that is in the stories, the narratives of men and women of faith, how they endured and persevered in difficult times. And the Old Testament gives us much greater detail in that. The Gospels are somewhat biographical, and so is the book of Acts. But except for the life of Jesus, there's really not much true biography in the New Testament. And even the Old Testament is all about Christ, right? The major point of the Old Testament is to testify to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Jesus rebuked the Jews for not reading the Old Testament in light of him. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But as these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And after his resurrection, he told the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament. I've said this before. I hope there's reruns in heaven. I want to hear Jesus go from Genesis through Malachi and say, this was me, this was me, this is what I did. That, that would be so tremendous. And later he told his disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written in me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. If you look at a Hebrew Old Testament today and look at the spine on the back of it, you'll find the Hebrew words for law, prophets, and psalms, or the writings. That is what they call the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms, which includes Ecclesiastes and, and some of the other writings. That means that every part of the Old Testament must be interpreted in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It may not directly relate to Christ, but it's part of a larger context that must be understood in light of who he is and what he came to do. But tucked in the pages of the Old Testament, there are multiple stories, stories of real people, ordinary people like us, people that had endurance and perseverance, and these stories are intended to encourage us and give us hope. So how does this work? How can we keep on holding on and hoping? First of all, we must have perseverance. Romans 15, 4 again. I'm probably going to read this about six times this morning. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The word translated perseverance, or sometimes it's translated endurance, means to hold up under stress 
under pressure. It's the ability to hold up under that, that pressure. In the Greek language, the ancient Greek language, it was used of standing firm in battle against a hostile attack. It's also used of holding out until help comes. How do we endure and hold out under the stress and pressure through our trials? Well, as we read about Abraham, who persevered in faith for over 25 years, 25 years before God granted the promise of a son, and how Abraham died in faith without owning any of the promised land except for a burial plot. But he was looking forward to heaven. And, his, and he understood that, yeah, you know, his people would have the land. So it strengthens your faith to endure through times when God does not immediately answer your prayers. Then you read the story of Joseph in prison, falsely accused of a crime he did not commit, and how God eventually worked it out for his good and his sovereign promises and purpose. And that encourage us, encourages us to trust God when you've been maligned. And as you read, as you learn, or as you learn both the narrative portions of the Old Testament, you read through the Psalms and how David cried out to God when enemies were trying to kill him. You learn how to take your own problems to the Lord and how to praise him in the midst of those problems. Turn over to the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 2. From the first chapter of James, I want to show you how we gain perseverance, how we endure under pressure. James chapter 1, the second verse. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's our word again, endurance, that, that pressure. That, that, that thing, that, that stress that's trying to take us out and take us down. You know, this is a lot like patience. Have you ever prayed for patience? And what happened? You really needed patience. That's, yeah, you really need. And it's really the same way for perseverance, because there's only way to get perseverance and endurance, and that is through the testing of your faith. You see, when you go through a trial... When you go through the tough stuff, your faith becomes evident. Do you trust in God or not? Or how much are you trusting in God? Or are you not trusting in God? Testing says, how strong is your faith? Do you really believe God or don't you believe God? Your faith is tested and it proves to be either strong or weak. Now, it's interesting in the Greek language because Unlike the, the English word love, where there's five different words for love in the New Testament, you have to kind of figure out which one it is. Uh, this is just the opposite. Uh, they had one word, prasmos. It can be translated temptation, trial, or test. So when it says God, is not, God does not tempt anybody, we put it in that context, God does not tempt us to evil. But God does try us, and he does it on a, on a regular basis. So the Greek word temptation, trial, and test all come from the same Greek word, so it should be translated uh, according to the context. But here's the point. Every trial is a test. 
Every trial is a test of your faith. And in this trial, are you going to believe God and trust in him and lean into him? Or are you going to do something else? Because you don't trust God, you think you have to work it out on your own. And that temptation is to do something else. There's always a temptation in every trial. Are we going to cut and run or try to get out from under it? Or are we going to trust God that he's going to help me endure under the pressure because my test has been faith, has been tested? And whatever else we do besides trusting God, that is disobedience. That's a good definition of sin. It's not trusting God, rebellion against God. So if you rely on anything other than God and his promises, the pressure will squash you like a bug. Actually, what you do, if you don't rely on God and his promises, you try to wiggle out from under the stress and the pressure. You try to fix it yourself how best you can, but there's no getting out from under it, and then it squashes you like a bug. So here's what you need to remember. And we see this in the life of Abraham. We see this in the life of Joseph in prison. When David, his enemies were chasing him, we see it in Hannah, who was barren, Ruth and Naomi, who were widowed and destitute. That was basically a death sentence in that time and that place. Remember this, that the thing you want God to remove from your life, that thing that is causing the most pressure and stress, that thing that you don't think you can take it and bear it another day, is the thing that God has chosen to use. In these days, there are many probable things that do that. The stress and tension in our lives is at the center of what God is up to in our lives. And he's going to use it to produce endurance. So James tells us a wonderful thing in verse 4 of this first chapter. And he says, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Your endurance is going to have a perfect result. In other words, the testing of your faith when you encounter trials, your endurance will do what God has purposed it to do. You need to let the endurance complete its work. And once its work is complete, you will be complete. And perfect and complete, however it's translated here, means here in the context that you're going to have a mature faith. You're going to have a mature faith. I like the way one pastor puts it. You'll have grown-up faith. That's mature faith. We talk a lot about childlike faith, not childish faith. There's childlike faith, but there's also mature faith. There's grown-up There's grown up faith. But the, the problem is, we don't quite get it. We don't, we don't understand it. We, we don't always see what God is doing in, in this. And we're, we're, if we're struggling to understand what God is doing and why is he allowing me to go through these trials and, and all of this. So James adds, and he adds it very quickly, verse 5, we are to pray for wisdom. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. We can ask for wisdom from God. God, what are you doing in my life? What are your purposes? How are you using this to make me more like your son, Jesus Christ? How he's using this to make me humble and obedient to him 
So I don't try to figure it out all by myself. Remember that the Apostle Paul asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh. And three times God said, no, the thorn in the flesh, it was probably some horrible physical disability and uh, could have been Paul's eyesight. You know, other, other theologians have surmised that it could have been somebody in his life that was a thorn in the flesh. We use that in that way today. But Lord, take this away from me. And the Lord said that this was a thorn in the flesh that came from Satan. It wasn't coming from God. It was coming from Satan. And Paul was informed by God, Paul, I'm allowing this in your life. Otherwise, you would exalt yourself. You would puff yourself up. You would be impossible to live with and you'd have nothing to teach anybody else. And so I have given this, I have allowed this to serve my purposes. But what did, how did God serve his purposes in Paul's life? This is what God told Paul. God says, and listen to the wisdom that is in this because this is the wisdom that Paul received when he asked God and then he received it. He said, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's an incredible insight, isn't it? So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's wisdom. We can pray, God, give me the wisdom to see and understand what are you doing in my life that I might have perseverance and have hope. And James says, you got it. God's going to, to give it. You may not understand everything, but you can understand what God is doing in your life and through your life in this. What purposes are you fulfilling in my life, Lord, through this crummy pandemic and all this collateral damage and whatever the pressures are? Give me the wisdom to apply your word and understand your promises so that in all of this I might stand steadfast and consider it all joy for what you are doing in my life. And also we can pray for wisdom so we might handle the situation better. Or that if it's God's will to reveal it, what's causing it, so then we might obey him. And we might see God's deliverance. You know, God, in most cases, wants to make us part of that deliverance. You know, so perseverance doesn't mean we don't pray for deliverance. Oh, please, God, stop this. Get this, get me out of here. It doesn't mean that at all. But in our prayer, God gives us wisdom to recognize the hand of God in it. You know, in the last few months while watching TV, and I've heard the same story, I heard it on West Wing and other places. Three times I've heard the same story, and I've even told this story before. And, and Jan said, didn't you just tell that recently? I go, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I did. But uh, it's really a good story to remind us of something here. There was a man, he was at his home when a violent rainstorm hit his house. And, and pretty soon his street was flooded, and he couldn't get to safety. He went out into his front yard, and as he went out, he saw his neighbor standing on the other side of the water rushing down, down the flooded street. And the neighbor yelled, I'll throw you a rope and pull you to safety. And the man replied, no, I'm okay. God will save me. The flood water got higher, and the man crawled up on his roof. And two good old boys in a boat, you've seen them on TV at Katrina and other places, they came by and they got right up to the roof and said, get in the boat. 
And man replied, no, God will save me. The water got so high, the band went up on his roof and right at the peak of the ridge there. And helicopter came by and said, they yelled down, we'll drop you a lifeline. And the man declined and soon he drowned. When he got to heaven, he asked God, God, why did you allow me to drown? And God replied, I sent your neighbor to you, I sent a boat to you, and I sent a helicopter to you. What more did you expect? God, give us the wisdom to see what you have sent for our deliverance. So we have hope through perseverance. And secondly, along with perseverance, we have hope through the encouragement of the Scriptures. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You're probably familiar with the Greek word translated encouragement here. It's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's parakalesis, the paraclete we often call the Holy Spirit. And parakalesis means to call alongside to give aid or comfort. It's like when you've been in an accident and the EMT comes alongside to give you aid. That's parakalesis. When your neighbor comes alongside and, and helps you in some way, that's parakalesis. You know, we, we talk a lot, how can I be more like Jesus Christ? When we comfort and encourage one another and come alongside one another, we're more like the Holy Spirit. We're more like God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager comes alongside to give you comfort and encouragement. He's called the comforter. So put simply, we, we can't persevere under the pressure if we don't have encouragement, can we? If we don't have perseverance and encouragements, then we can't have hope. And if we don't have hope, we don't have joy. It's a domino effect here. But we have the comforter, the Holy Spirit who is in us, to come alongside, as it were, to encourage us. And here in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we see that we also have God's word, the scriptures, to encourage us. God mediates or gives his comfort and encouragement through his word. I think everybody here, if I asked to raise your hand, how many of you have been comforted by that particular scripture passage that was just perfect for the right, for the right time? How many of you just open up your Bible and just go, oh, wow, there, <laughs> there it is. It was kind of a funny thing one time, but uh, we saw a thing on It's a Miracle the other day where a guy had lost the ring that belonged to his, his father. And it reminded me of the time I lost my wedding ring. And uh, it was shortly after Jan and the kids had moved to, to Frisco, Texas, after I'd been at Dallas Seminary and at Insight for Living all summer. And, and uh, they finally got there and things. And on the way home from uh, either Insight for Living or, or the seminary, I stopped by to get pizza at the pizza place and, and take it home to the family. And Jan's folks were there at the time, too. Uh, they bought the house so we could live in it to go to, go to seminary. But, but anyway, I, I came out of the pizza place, and I looked down. My ring was missing. And I've told this story before. I lost 20, 25 pounds that summer, you know, and so it was loose on my finger. I couldn't find it anywhere. I... I looked, you know, under the seat. I went back to the store two or three times. I think I, they, I really irritated them after a while. Are you sure you haven't seen a ring? You know, because I, I remember, I, I was pretty sure I had it in the van before I, I went in and, and, and those kind of things. And I, I couldn't find it. And I was sitting there and I was praying, God, give me wisdom. 
And he kept telling me, look in the word. And I go, no, God, this is, this is not that kind of encouragement. I want to find the wedding ring. Where is my wedding ring? And he kept impressing upon me, look in the word. Look in the word. And so I put my Bible in my backpack, and I unzipped the backpack, and I pulled my Bible out, and there was a lump in the Bible. <laughs> and so it was sitting there right there, and I just opened it up where the lump's at, and there was, there was my ring. Because what had happened was I put my Bible in my backpack right before I went into the, and uh, there was the word. You know, so maybe a little strange story, but look, look in the Word. And so God, but it really is true. When we look in the Word, God mediates His comfort and encouragement by speaking to us through His Word. We find comfort in the Word of God. And in God's Word, we find encouragement to do His will, even when it's hard, even when life hurts. How do we keep on holding on and hoping? And it's not a 10-step process. It's not do this and do that and do the other thing. But it's very, it's very simple. It's amazing. You can spend a 45-minute sermon and then just boil it down to one thing. How do we keep on hoping and holding on? It's a life spent. It's a life spent in God's Word and in prayer. A life spent in God's Word and prayer. Go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 10 for a moment. Chapter 12, there we go. Chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. What produces and sustains our hope? Prayer. And what produces and sustains our hope? God's Word. God's Word. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, the Scriptures You have given to us. And that through your Holy Spirit and him working in our lives, Father, but uh, we also thank you, Lord, that we can come before you in prayer. Father, that whatever it is that weighs heavy on our hearts and is difficult to understand and to, to stand under, Father, we can, we can come to you because in your word and in prayer, that, that's where you want each one of us, Lord. That is where you do your work. Yes, you're working in our lives constantly and consistently for our good, Father, but uh, when we're in that humble position in prayer and in your word, we know better what you are doing in our lives and why. Father, and there's a lot of questions today. Why, why, why? 
Make us a people of the book. Make us a people of prayer. And we thank you for the promises that you have given us that we might stand fast with perseverance, that we might have hope, and that we might have joy. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.